Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Dud tyres. Uh, you know, we were forced to only put two tyres on at that uh, at the last stop, um, where we had we got two brand new ones there, ready to go, but um, they're just duds, so we um, we can't use them. Rinnebottom's still in the hunt. We'll keep fighting, we'll get better, and hopefully comes, you know, Sydney will we'll be in the mix somewhere and have a good fight. And the gears is Mr. Consistent. You know, we're, we're happy two podiums. It's a great way to bounce back from disappointment old winter. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Jamie Winkup has closed the gap between himself and championship leader James Courtney with a strong performance at the Hidden Valley event. The defending champ picking up a second on Saturday's race and winning Sunday's, which required the drivers to use both soft and standard compound tyres. We had our back up against the wall, you know, from the start with tyres and things like that. I'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty, but we had a tough weekend and to, uh, you know, that just adds to the reward at the end. Jamie might not have wanted to talk about the tyres, but the V8 Insiders will be looking at it in this week's White Flag Lab. Mark Winterbottom found a return to form, winning race 13 of the championship and finishing a close second behind Wink Up on Sunday. In fact, Winterbottom was charging on the final laps, but Frosty was happy to show the doubters that he'll be fighting in this championship until the final race of 2010. It's not over until that last lap at Sydney, so, uh, you know, it's one of those things. You, you have a bad patch, I've had a couple of DNFs. Um, I fought back to, to get really good points this weekend. Unfortunately, these guys are always going to get points, but it'll happen. There's 300 points up for grabbing at Bathurst and Phillip Island. Co-drivers come into place at Indy, so it's a lot of racing to go, and we'll keep fighting, we'll get better, and hopefully comes you know Sydney, we'll, we'll be in, in the mix somewhere and have a good fight. Shane Van Ginsbergen once again drove through the field to finish in third place. The young New Zealand star is looking to improve his qualifying so he can take the next steps up the podium. Qualifying, I can't seem to make the tyres work. You know, Tim had a had a good day yesterday. His car was a bit different, and then today Alex's was a little bit different again. So um, he he got the pole, which was awesome for him and awesome for the team. But um, yeah, I, I started tenth and struggled to to you know keep ground at the start. You know, there were a few guys behind me on soft tyres coming through, but you know they filtered through, and I sort of ran pace with Mark. I was catching him for the first part of the first stint, and he um, started to pull away a bit. Uh, we jumped him at the first pit stop and um, you know I was holding a pretty good pace but his thing was a rocket he really come through and, and left me for dead but then um, on the soft tyre we had pace but we were just too far behind but um, you know, it certainly was fun coming through as Mark said you know passing the, the cars on the hard tyre it's pretty cool having that extra grip there. Tim Slade was the talk of pit lane with the young driver getting into his first top 10 shootout finishing in sixth place in both Saturday and Sunday races. 
Slade will be looking to consolidate his spot in the top half of the field for the rest of the season. Stone Brothers Racing also looked like they'd found some speed with Alex Davison grabbing his first V8 supercar pole position on Sunday. You know, the track conditions are quite difficult, I think, and it's still, you know, they're very slippery, it's very hot, so it still didn't feel unbelievable, but um, it was good enough this morning, so we'll put our heads down and put our heads down and try and tidy it up for the race again. And, uh, you know, we, it's important that the car looks after its tyres well, so that's what we'll be concentrating on. But a um, bit of a surprise, but a nice one. An electrical issue, unfortunately, put Davison out of a very competitive car in Sunday's race. Looking at the championship points following 14 rounds of the championship and James Courtney finished on 1,698 points. Wing Cup on 1,641 Craig Lowndes is in third position on 14.52 with Shane Van Gisbergen on 14.12. Mark Winterbottom rounding out the top five with 13.44 points. Garth Tanders on 12.42. Rick Kelly's on 12.26. Lee Holsworth on 12.18. Michael Caruso on 11.39. And Stephen Johnson rounding out the top ten on 1,040 points. V8 Supercars TV have tested a 3D in-car camera last weekend on Will Davison's Commodore. The test reportedly went well, but V8 Supercars TV or the 7 Network would not confirm if this year's Bathurst 1000 will be broadcast in both HD and 3D formats. As I mentioned earlier, the term dud tyres was heard a fair bit across the weekend and in the week to follow with the teams using test tyres which they were issued with earlier in the season, they are claiming that they work differently to the test tyres that have been issued in the last month. Triple Eight, Jack Daniels Racing, both the Brad Jones Racing teams and Brytech all claim to have issues across the weekend. We'll be looking at the tyre topic in this week's Gas and Go in the White Flag Lab. Gold Coast Cabs have teamed up with the Gold Coast Carnival organisers launching this week their new Maxi Cab liveries to promote the event. The partnership is also part of the Be Responsible message to all the patrons attending the Gold Coast Festival. Well, it might also help so people who follow open wheel cars at Indy can distinguish between the taxi cabs and the V8 supercars. That's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Tony Whitlock and Chris Jewell will join me next. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jason Richards. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, it's the voice of the V8 supercars, Chris Jewell. How are you going, Chris? Yes, mate, I'm fantastic. Uh, back in the warmer climate of Melbourne, having uh, survived the tropics of Darwin for a few few days up there. So I'm coping all right. Thanks very much. And also from Race Facts, it's Tony Whitlock. Great to have you back on the show. 
Ian. G'day, Chris. G'day, mate. How are you going? Yeah. Look, uh, we're going to talk about the race first because there's so many things that have come from the race. I don't want to get us uh, bogged down into the techno jargon and uh, all the uh, trials and tribulations first. Uh, but it was good to see Frosty back up on the podium and really showing what FPR should be delivering at each and every round, Chris. Yeah, they've certainly had a bit of a run of outs. They obviously started the year in uh, pretty strong form there, but clearly they benefited from having a couple of test days there. Campbell Little's obviously taking them on a totally different uh, set-up direction to what they previously had been using, and they got a little bit lost there with the soft compound tyres been introduced at Queensland. The crash didn't do them any good. Two days of testing, and they've clearly found a way forward again, and if not for uh, maybe another few seconds up the road, Frosty would have been the uh, only winner of the triple crown by virtue of scoring pole in the shootout Saturday's race win and almost Sunday's race win so great to see him up there and also good to see Steve Richards started to show a few glimpses here and there of some improvement in form but still it's just not enough as far as I'm concerned. Tony your thoughts? Uh, yeah it was fantastic to see uh, Mark back up there one of the problems I have with FBR it just doesn't seem enough spirit about the place um, but um, the, the sadness for uh, Stevie Richards was his problems at the weekend, none of which were his. He had uh, a great race result on Sunday and back in the 10, but on Saturday, it was one of those weird ones. A big-footed passenger on Friday had kicked loose some uh, fuse uh, connectors up under the passenger footwell, and when the car dropped off the jacks after his first stop on Saturday, bang, the car stalled. Took it in the garage, did it several more times until they discovered it, but Stevie can't pull a trick at the moment, so even when he is fast... It's, it's Rob from him. You know. They're not the only team to have passenger rides either, so clearly something's wrong in their procedural management. Um, oh. and inevitably, a lot of the people you take for passenger rides are normally fairly sizable chaps, but there's just something that's missing from the disciplines and procedures in that business at the moment that continue to catch them out, unfortunately for Steve. It always appears to be on his car. Mm. Yeah, it does indeed. And interestingly enough, when you see uh, Paul Dumbrell doing so well in the uh, Gary... And sorry, in the Rod Nash racing car as well. He's been very consistent throughout the year. Whilst he's not winning races, he's always there and abouts. And I think this has probably been his most consistent year, which is ironic because normally he's been so fast but brittle. Yeah, look, I think um, Paul tends to start the season on the front foot, and he did it again this year as well, and then it tends to fade during the course of the year before rebounding you know, in and around the Enduros. But it's been a reasonably good year. He still um, you know, has a fair share of bad luck, like he got caught up in an accident um, in the second lap of the Sunday race on Sunday that probably denied him finishing further up through the field. But for a driver that's obviously got a lot on his plate at the moment, considering the business ventures he's pursuing and the role he's playing in, at automotive brands, uh, he's still driving very, very well. And I'm just concerned that if he does announce it, it's his last year in V8 Supercar, he'll probably score a win and he'll regret it forever. <laughs> What are your thoughts of Rod Nash Racing this year, Tony? Oh, well, as uh, Rod's got in place all the things that he needs, um, uh, you know, he does have now a driver who has a very large agenda once he steps outside the car. I mean, he's got a business that uh, has, has hundreds of employees and millions of dollars of turnover, which makes it very difficult for Paul to dial in for a weekend. Um but, you know, Rod's got the things he needs and certainly a wonderful sponsor in Bottolo who's built up from being just a banner, windscreen banner sponsor to a main car, main game sort of uh, sponsor. Um, so I think that Rod's got what he wants. Um, maybe a driver who 
maybe just able to put his mind 100% into that job. And that's not against Paul. That's, you know, the, what's happened with uh, his father. He's not well, and uh, a brother he has to put time in on as well. So, you know, it's, it's the way things roll. Mm. And uh, it's looking more and more likely that uh, James Moffat is going to be in an FPR car, whether it be Rod Nash Racing or whether it be at FPR proper next year, doesn't it? Highly likely, yes. James has got to, you know, still tick a few boxes. I mean, he's had a few too many offs when he's been in not super strong places, but uh, he's got to make sure that he he carries on when he's in a stronger place and, and gets up there. I mean... It's all very well sitting back and saying McConville and Owen aren't in the series, but, you know, you've got to go out and beat who's on the track. Yeah, they probably don't need to run out of fuel one more time or have an exhaust pipe fall off as well. A couple of the problems he has had have been outside of his control and clearly he's not completely comfortable at uh, the wheel of an FPR set-up car as opposed to the very forgiving Triple H chassis he was using with Sonic last year. But uh, I spoke with Tim Edwards last week and it's certainly not a fait accompli. He's in the mix, but Tim said, look, he's still very young and he's still relatively inexperienced, but he's, uh, he's certainly got genuine speed there and it's up to us to now mould that. But... The hot scuttlebutt is that he will find his way into the main game next year. And, you know, if there are three or four people who don't return in 2011, uh, that'll open the doors for a whole host of people to throw their hat into the ring, and he'd be certainly one of the more fancied runners, that's for sure. It it is interesting. Uh, It's about this time every year as we uh, go towards the uh, last couple of races before Bathurst and Sandown that we really do have... uh, the silly season over uh, the past few years it's been getting to the beginning of the year that silly season started but uh, this year it's it's sort of warming up with a lot of people who we thought we might have been set for a couple of years but it, it is moving around and it it does look like it's going to be quite fluid I think you're right. I mean, there's still a few good drivers who aren't currently occupying permanent seats. David Reynolds, for one. Steve Owen could well potentially win Bathurst this year alongside Jamie Wincup, and that will certainly complement his resume if it needs that indeed. But um, there are plenty of drivers out there, but uh, I just wonder whether or not Reynolds is actually going to be a driver that can be retained by uh, Walkinshaw's group when he's not been really given a fair go this year as far as running full-time. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of other teams who've got him near the top of their list. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, look, you know, the whole driver issue, I mean, there's a number of blokes who are on three-year contracts that you know, could well find themselves being uh, looked at more than just uh, by them, so by uh, their current driver owners. Um, but uh, I, uh, uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, Reynolds is he's a great lad, and he is a lad. He's uh, certainly fits in when you're speak to teams and you speak to people in and around him he's just a you know he's just a knockabout guy that really is still a bit like uh willy wonka in the chocolate factory in some in some respects he's a very serious driver but he just knows how to have fun well good thing is that he's back in at uh, townsville in uh, fabian coulthard's car for the first half this year Mm. so you know i you know where fabian wasn't able to adjust to it David will get straight back in again and be back in amongst the top five. And he was showing those signs at the end of last year. There's no doubt about that. Look, we haven't spoken about Stone Brothers. They get a pole position, and unfortunately, um, Alex Davison has the Stephen Richards luck. And also, we had a situation where we saw some great racing, great speed out of Tim Slade as well. And then we've been praising the Giz all year, and he's picked up another two third-place finishes, Chris. Well, yeah. 
they've, they've certainly um, improved from last year. Clearly, they've uh, unlocked some chassis secrets in there that they didn't have last year. But also, Van Giz is you know, into his fourth year now. He's, it's his third full year, but it is his fourth year of running. So he has an enormous amount of experience under his belt. And Tim Slade's been fast and everything he's driven previously. But I think it takes that continuity before he can actually start doing the job that those guys are doing. And he has been a pleasant surprise. But if you actually look beneath the thin veneer, Tim's actually been pretty quick over the last few race meetings. And since they had that test day recently, he's really found uh, you know, some more spring in his step. As far as Alex is concerned, well, he just needs to qualify better. There's never been any doubting about his ability to race a car and conserve tyres. I'm still not convinced that he's unlocked the secret for qualifying. It was a very low-grip track on Sunday, and I think there were more people complaining there was no grip as opposed to Alex finding a secret there and putting the thing on pole. His time was not much quicker than he'd done the previous day, which saw him down in 25th spot. So I hope I'm wrong because I'd love to see Alex up there yet, but unfortunately, just based on one pole position, the fact that he was 25th one day and first the next... I don't think there's that set up in the car, and there's certainly not that improved. ...last year at Hidden Valley, so that he's backed that up again. I mean, he had better qualifying in Abu Dhabi, but of the tracks he's been to before, so far, Hidden Valley is his best qualifying place. Um, clearly, you know, the, the problem had nothing to do with him. The car restarted after the race had finished. They don't know what the problem is. Um, it was getting power at the ECU, but... Uh, yeah, you know, very poor luck uh, on his part, and he's got... Well, I think he's come out of it better than last year anyway. I mean, last year he had a second-place finish um, in the diluted soft compound tyre program we had of previous... Uh, days when we used to have half the field on softs on Saturday and pretty much the other half on Sunday but to score pole, lead 31 laps and look convincingly enough to be in the game to be potentially third or fourth at worst, he wasn't going to win or don't believe he was going to come second either but I think he's really come away from it looking better than he actually looked last year when you'd have to say it was a somewhat fortuitous playing by the rules, second place mm. Guys, it's uh, time to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. We'll be back with plenty more right after this. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch watched the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders with Tony Whitlock and Chris Jewell. And, uh, guys, uh, interesting, this whole Hidden Valley race. We've, we've talked about a number of the drivers, and I think uh, one driver that deserves an honourable mention because he was very good on Saturday, couldn't back it up on Sunday, was Jason Richards. Tony? shown that. I mean, it was a mistake in the uh, shootout that uh, caused his problems um, on Saturday. Um, but on Sunday, he did show and got a half-reasonable race result. Um, it's far better than they've had in some considerable time. I think go, going back as far as back as last year. So they should have been doing better than they have, um, particularly with, you know, Brighty and Phil Key joining and having an engineering group that's uh, pretty top line. But um, they uh, decided to take themselves out of being Walkinshaw customers to have their own uh, chassis uh, development and to be using Noonan engines. It's unfortunate that uh, Carl Reiner had another engine problem, though clearly not everything 100% there. 
But, uh, you know, I just, Brad Jones, um, they really do put a good thing together when uh, when they're going well. Mm. And now Richards, Chris, just to put it in perspective, Richards' race 13 was the first time he'd scored over 100 points in a race. He, he's been struggling to get 120 points in a weekend, and here he picked up 120 points in one race. Yeah, you're right. He's, he's been around a long while, and his speed's undeniable, and uh, he certainly tends to flourish when we go to Mount Panorama. I mean, if not for a bit of luck, he could have had three Bathurst wins. He's uh, accumulated deficit is only something like four or five seconds from first to second in many Bathurst starts. But for whatever reason, he sends tends to always finish the championship mid-pack for different reasons but it was good to see him up there that's probably the most consistently i've seen him race and cleanly i've seen him race and you recall of course last year at uh, in valley not only was he on pole but he was on target for a top three spot and he just kept pounding that curb at turn 12 and eventually broke the suspension with three laps to go he flew off at turn one so that was clearly in his head but not just his driving you have to also look at the strategy that the team employed on sunday because he started well down the order in I think it was a grid 23 by memory and uh, and still ended up well inside the top 10. So the strategy of Brad Jones Racing is certainly very, very good. Quite why that doesn't transpose across to Jason Bright is beyond me because in Sunday's race he had a bad first pit stop uh, when it was a late call coming in and the team weren't quite ready for him and then he had steering damage uh, later on when he was trying to pass Jonathan Webb. So... Hopefully they'll find a little bit more form, but I don't think it's the form they were hoping for when they were gearing up for this year, and uh, they've got another half of the year to make up for it, but so far they're both sort of stranded mid-pack, and I think they're expecting a bit better than that. Mm. Tony? Yeah, well, you know, um, is certainly not showing what he was last year at times, and uh, yeah, they should be doing better, should be doing far better. Mm. Now, I'm interested to get your thoughts because uh, we've got James Courtney and Jamie Winkup definitely dominating at the uh, front of the field. Lowndes, Van Gisbergen, just with sheer consistency, and it's it's great to see Van Gisbergen doing so well. Uh, Then Mark Winterbottom now in the top five. Garth's back in sixth. Rick Kelly's in seventh. Uh, Holsworth, Caruso and Johnson are your top ten. But I want to take a look at the other end of the ladder, because there's some people out there that, uh, well, some of them are first years, some of them are second years, but there's one guy that's glaringly obvious, and we talked about uh, the, the fellow that was in at Walkinshaw Racing last year, and that, of course, was David Reynolds. You look at the scoreboard, and the only person below Andrew Thompson is Paul Morris, and he's only run one round this year. I, I think that's that's a glaring indication that there was an economic crisis and that was going across all teams, or am I just yeah, being a little bit too harsh? Isn't it? It's, um, you know, these teams need to survive. There are uh, draconian penalties for licence holders who don't turn up to events. We know that for a fact. Not only do you get the per-meeting fine of 150-odd thousand, you do it twice, and the uh, and Supercar can exercise their right of preemption and take your licence back. So you need to fill these seats with drivers that have got capabilities and some of which have got uh, some supporting finance and that's motor racing globally and clearly Andrew Thompson brought some money to the team there and um, that unfortunately saw the the ousting of David Reynolds but uh, yeah Tomo he just hasn't been able to do the business has he and it's strange because he's a pedigree carter and he's done well in other categories at different times but this year the only two times he's actually looked like he's been pretty racy he's managed to stick the thing into the hedge so it's a bit of a shame for Andrew hopefully there's more to come there but um, I'm hearing whispers that there'll only be one Bundaberg car next year. We'll just have to wait and see. Mm. Andrew could well be suffering from one of those ghastly bloody situations where he's been under the pressure right from the start of when he jumped into a PWR car. And we all know that Keyes Wheel was having to, you know, run the car because of the licence situation. 
and that you know he was didn't have a fast car. They were, had constant engine problems, so he was always coming from behind there. Now he's jumped into a car where okay, he's not the focus, and Fabian clearly was, and that's not even working for him. And so that you know every time Andrew goes out there, he's, he's under constant pressure. Whereas some of the kids. And some of these young guys, I mean, Jonathan Webb has clearly shown that over the last three years of doing the development series, he has learned an enormous amount. He has soaked it up. Um, Andrew hasn't had that pleasure, that ability, that chance to run around in lesser categories, to learn the game, but has been under pressure right from the start. And that's a bloody hard thing to cope with as a 50-year-old or a 40-year-old. But as a 20-something-year-old, it's even bloody worse. Well, well not that much further up the point score, you got Greg Murphy as well. Yeah, and oh, I was going to talk about that because Carl Reindler and Tony Riccadello are the people in between Thompson and Murphy. Uh, do you want to speak about Murphy or do you want to speak about the other two? Oh, look, I just think that, um, you know, clearly there are some drivers that are entering the twilight zone. And, you know, whether it's AFL, whether it's NRL, baseball or otherwise, the reflexes of young sporting stars compared to older sporting stars are just not comparable and motor racing is one of the ones that you know genuinely can show those things up and when you've got you know guys in their mid to late 20s who are occupying all of the spots near the top of the championship with the exception of craig lowndes and at the end of the day craig's really still coming second in a two-horse race and hasn't scored a win this year where his teammates scored seven i just think that there are some drivers who can drive as well as they could ever drive once or twice, but they cannot carry a genuine championship challenge uh, across the entire duration of the season. And in that group, you can include, you know, Stephen Richards, Jason Bright, Jason Richards, Greg Murphy, Russell Lingle. There's a host of guys in that late 30 second bracket. Other than Tander and uh, Lowndes and Stephen Johnson just, there's not another guy over 30 in the top 10. You've got six or seven of them between 11 and 20, and then you've got some of the newer guys at the uh, other end of the grid. I just think that uh, it's becoming an ever-increasingly younger sport. I think the other part of the equation is the team and where they are. Now, recently, Wincup drove Greg Murphy's car and ended up saying, no, there's not much different to it. Now, have a look with the same equipment that the two uh, Paul Morris's have versus the other two. They're at opposite ends of the bloody paddock. And there's a giant difference in what they're doing. One thing that showed up again was it's how you behave under pressure. It's how you behave under extreme pressure, like the Lowndes crew did. Someone made a mistake. They dropped the car off the uh, air jack early, but Lowndes he, you know, picked the car up and went. No one panics. It was just a calm, cool, collected, you know, picked the car up again, up it went, Will went on, and off he went. And he climbed, and he showed again that, you know, he's got still got speed on board. So it's the team that, you know, back up that driver. And I don't think at Morris's that, you know, their blokes are getting a, a full shift at it compared to, say, a triple eight. Mm. It, it is an interesting one too. And uh, you've got Fiori doing his own thing just above, above Murphy. Job. I've really enjoyed, and I always enjoy speaking to the Fioris because they they are having fun. They're doing it tough, but they they're having fun. Well, they actually bought very intelligently because not only did they buy the car and the transport and all the other bits and pieces, they actually went and got the crew that worked on the last year. The number one mechanic, the engineer, you know, that so many pieces were all familiar to them. They didn't have to go and learn it, mm. and that you know, each time he's almost getting his personal best. It's 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 going to be an interesting second half of the year, I think, because the team is just building up and they're they're starting to get a bit more money in, which means they can also keep upgrading the bits. They're not, you know, it's always nice to have new stuff at the beginning of the year, but you've got to keep uh, freshening it up throughout the season, Chris. Yeah, you're right. 
right. But look, they are effectively a, a satellite operation as well. That you know, using Triple Eight equipment, they work very closely with Dick Johnson Racing. They're they're almost paired with them, if you like, down into uh, the entry end of pit lane. And uh, you know, clearly a lot of the, the team are, are guys that have come across from. Uh, Paul Crookshank Racing and guys that have had experience at Dick Johnson Racing previous to that. So I think that's got a nice harmony there. I mean, once again, he's you know qualified in the mid order again on for the Saturday's race, and you know if not for being turned around in mid race, he was probably looking at a, a top twenty finish as well. So he's had one top ten qualifying performance this year, and in the shootout, many drivers have never done that. And you know, Dean's a quick young racing driver. Once again, it's proving that it takes two years to get your head around doing everything right. It's not just the speed, it's the on-track management, it's the ability to blend back into traffic after the stops, conserve your tyres, etc, etc. And uh, he's one of the guys, along with Tony D'Alberto and Jonathan Webb, that are certainly doing the, the business. And unfortunately for um, for guys like Andrew Thompson and even Fabian Coulthard, who's having a shocker of a year against expectations, um, they get shown up and um, you really need to have the whole chemistry, the whole environment working in your uh, in your direction before you can actually pull those results out. And that's clearly what's happening with Dean Fiore. Mm. Guys, we need to take a break. And in Guess and Go this week, I'm going to do something a little bit different. So we'll take a break and be back with Guess and Go on the White Flag Lap here on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, the white flag lap now here. And still with me is Chris Jewell and Tony Whitlock. And guys, normally we do gas and go and I go five questions, three minutes. But the issue that we're going to talk about has blown up so big. I'm going to go one question, three minutes on this gas and go brought to you by V8X Magazine. Question, why do we have dud tyres in V8 supercars? Tony Whitlock. Tires there is the management of the tires. I mean, you can go back and you can find that yes, we've changed carcass construction, and yes, we've had a different soft tire and light and those things. And the current t- control tire doesn't have the steel belts and it used to, and it doesn't weigh the same. But it's the management of the things, the way in which the rules were written this year that meant that people were bringing different tyres into what was their stock weekend, rather than just leaving them in a practice, they're actually bringing them in and using them in a race. There were not inconsistencies in the tyres that were delivered over the weekend. It's the management of them, whether it's the way in which the the, uh, rules were written this year, which I believe strongly it was, that meant that people weren't able to use a a new set in practice of a current uh, spec tyre, but people were bringing January tyres, which may have been stored in air-conditioned luxury with a couch and a 20-bit 4-inch TV to look at, as compared with those that were sitting in the back of a truck somewhere overheating. So it's not the dud tyres, and it's really sad that somebody wrote a headline that said Dud Dunlops, because they have performed magnificently throughout their career in providing a control tyre for the the category. Chris, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I concur with Tony. I think you'll find that um, there are some loopholes in any rule that uh, teams can take advantage of, and now it's come down to tyres. So just keep moving and looking and searching for a new way to get a better performance game. And if there's a team out there that's smart enough to refrigerate them or do whatever it is they do with them to ensure that those tyres are going to give them a greater chance at winning, well, that's not the team's fault. That's just motor racing, the loopholes there. What they now need to do is look at the process management of where the tyres go, how they're distributed and allocated, and address it that way, because it's just a sign of the time with motorsport and um, we need to improve our professionalism as far as the tyre distribution and control is concerned but in no way is that a slight against Dunlop um, in any way. It's really down to the rules that are written and the way the teams can actually um, have less room to interpret the rules. Mm. I know in 1990 when I was working over in the States and we were working on stock cars there was some series we'd run at where you had to buy your tyres at the track and you would go to the mostly Hoosier dealer but uh, you go to the Hoosier or the Goodyear guy and you would pick up your tyres from the track and every tyre came from the same batch and you only had tyres on the car when you got to the track. You just had you know some old shitters on there for getting the car in and out of the tra- transporter. But at other series where we had the tyres and we could get the tyres a week before, we were thinking about the temperature of the track we're going to, the ambient temperature, and we were putting them in refrigerators. We were putting them in sometimes in hot boxes to put a cycle through the tyre just in a box without even running the tyre. This is 1990. Is V8 supercars that far behind? <laughs> maybe. Maybe it is. Or as they had so many other things, on a stock car you don't have a lot to adjust. Maybe we had to work on the tyres so much just to uh, get something out of them. I don't I know. Suggest- to be is there's no one in V8 supercars is actually paying attention solely to the tyres. Adam Perry is control of sporting and he's got a whole bunch of things. He's not a tyre man particularly. If anything, he was the accountant at uh, Lycos when he was there. Um, nor is Frank Adamson a tyre man. He's taken responsibilities when he's been a racer at various teams. But V8 supercars should appoint, hey, there's Mort in the background there. You know, <laughs> somebody who is a tyre man taking responsibilities for the tyres for the category. That's what would appear to be the most sensible thing for them to be doing. It seems like they just pass the buck to Fitzy every time uh, something has to be done. Hey guys, it has been a pleasure to catch up with you this week. The other thing I was thinking about the tyre issue is perhaps this is just how they're going to explain why they're on soft tyres every week. And this is just a PR beat up to try and force the hand. No, no, not true. No. That was just me being uh, the conspiracy theorist that I love. Guys, Adam, that's the uh, gas and go and the white flag lap for this week. Chris Jill, thanks very much for joining us once again. Yeah, cheers, Craig. Good on you. And also to Tony Whitlock. Cheers, Chris. As, as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.